For a special Saturday edition of the Locked on Sun Devils podcast, old co-host Connor Drio stops by to talk plenty of Arizona State news, including a rapid-fire conversation about the transfers, Herm Edwards' potential upcoming season, as well as how important this season might be for the Sun Devils. This is the Locked on Sun Devils podcast. You are Locked on Sun Devils, your daily podcast on the Arizona State Sun Devils. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And welcome back to the Locked on Sun Devils podcast. My name is Richie Bradshaw, and I will be your guide for everything Arizona State Sun Devils. This episode of the Locked on Sun Devils is brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline, where the game starts. Remember, this podcast is free and available on all platforms, which includes YouTube. If you would like to check us out in a visual platform, see all of my hand gestures, like I hit my mic just now. You can check out my beautiful face. You can check out the new the new setup. I got brand new computer going on, so you can officially see my sign in the background. That's that the uh, what's it called billboard of the seventy to seven former billboard. Yeah, former billboard because Tucson threw a fit about it. So you know, big old try winning a game. We don't care. Try a game. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I I'm gonna tell you right now. We don't care. We don't care. <laughs> we don't care. Neither here nor there, though. Wherever you get the podcast, make sure you hit the subscribe or the follow button. Turn on those notifications so you get an update whenever we post a new episode, which is Monday through Friday. And today, a Saturday edition of the podcast. Also, if you're on Twitter, go ahead and hit me with that follow. That's going to be at RichieBrads36. And while you're there, follow the podcast as well at LO underscore Sun Devils. You can even give Connor a pity follow at Cedrios. <laughs> pity follows are cool. I still pity use Twitter. Are cool. I get those all the time. But Connor, welcome back to the pod. Uh, miss you so much. So happy you're here. Probably the uh, number three friend of the podcast after Donnie Drew and Rashad White, of course. How you been, buddy? Not too bad. I've uh, unfortunately been keeping up with most of the Sun Devils news and. Uh, just when you think the next day could be like all bright and blue and we have something to look forward to, life just kicks you while you're down and another Arizona State player just seems to leave the program for probably good reasoning, probably for their benefit and you can't blame them. But the state of the program is not quite sunshine and rainbows. Yeah, right now it's like that meme where it's like, God, I know you gave your toughest soldiers, but I'm getting real tired and God's just like, you're still alive. You're still alive. <laughs> I thought I killed you already. Exactly. That's the state of the Arizona State Sun Devils program, which is what we're going to start the conversation with is just a rapid fire of all of the transfer news, both into the program and especially out of the program for Arizona State. So, Connor, let's go ahead and start with the transfers into the program. You know, we'll start off on a happy note here, which includes the big addition here of Emery Jones. Now, we didn't get a conversation with me and you about Emory Jones. And I just want your kind of initial thoughts about it. What do you think of the addition of Emory Jones to the team? Anyone that remembers me talking on the podcast, I am always a, a half glass empty kind of guy. I try to stay as even keeled as possible. And that feels like the best approach, right? Like I never want to get my highs get too high, lows get too lows. 
strictly because if and when Arizona State sports or just Arizona sports lets me down, I don't crash as hard as I probably could have, right? Like some other people. Now, Emory Jones. Expect to be disappointed and you'll never be disappointed. Love Iron Man. Now, in in my opinion, like you just, he feels like an immediate upgrade to Trenton Bourget or or Paul Tyson, right? Like before we were talking about a a quarterback battle where it was kind of like a, like who's going to suck the least, right? And and no disrespect to either of those other quarterbacks. Totally all I know this year. Having Emory Jones, a, a more, I shouldn't say more, a much more mobile athletic type of quarterback, um, kind of filling in the role of Jaden Daniels, whether he's going to be playing better than him, no idea. Uh, but having a guy with his upside at least makes me feel a little bit all warm and fuzzy. Uh, there, there's quite a bit less uh, of a track record on Emory Jones. He's played throughout four different seasons, but really only had his first season of starting last year, and it wasn't particularly glowing. But there are still things to like, right? So whether he can be a little bit more efficient, I remember reading an article uh, probably about almost two months ago now, whenever he uh, officially transferred over to ASU, talking about how maybe all 13 of those interceptions weren't quite his fault, which it normally never is always in the quarterback. But nonetheless, having Emory Jones at least in here, I wouldn't say it, it saves the Sun Devil season, but it at least makes me feel a little bit better about that position moving forward. Definitely. And I mean, uh, taking the numbers into context, he had 19 touchdown passes to 13 Mm -hmm. interceptions. Six of those touchdown passes did come against Samford. So against, you know, higher level competition, he was a one-to-one guy, which is technically an upgrade over Jaden Daniels, who was a 10 touchdown to 11 interception guy. Uh, The biggest thing with Emery, though, he seems to be a much more competent and competent passer. I don't know if you've seen this, but he was the number one quarterback against the Blitz in the SEC, and I believe it might have even been the country. So as you know, Connor, when the play broke down for Emery, he was definitely a guy who would, or not for Emery, excuse me, for Jaden. When the play would break down, he panicked, you know, He, he didn't have good pocket presence. More often than not, he would roll out of the pocket. And sometimes that worked, you know, he would break off big runs. But there was a lot of times where that turned into forced throws and that turned into bad decision making. With Emery, this is a guy who can step up in the pocket. He doesn't completely rely on his ability to run, which for what it's worth, he's very good at. He led the Gators in rushing yards last year. But he might not need to be that guy anymore because sure, He had a running back named Damian Pierce, who's in the NFL now. But at Arizona State, he does have just as good a running back situation. If not, maybe a little better, at least in terms of upside. So just curious, before we move on to some other guys, because I don't want to spend too much time focused on one player here. Do you think Emery is an upgrade over Jaden? As of right now, I'm going to say no. Until proven otherwise. And I don't say that because Jaden Daniels was just so good. I, I love Jaden Daniels, the person. I uh, can understand why he did what he did. And it is what it is. Um, but until I see it from Emory, I'm not going to get all warm and fuzzy. And to his credit, he's not going to have what even Jaden had to work with here. And that was not a ton as far as receiving uh, options. And there's no Rashad White. So if we come away from the end of the season and saying Emory Jones was the better quarterback good on him because even if their stats are comparable with even less talent here on this team, good for Emory. But as of now, I would say no. 
And that's totally fair to consider that more of a lateral upgrade until we see further otherwise. Totally fair. A couple other transfers to the program I want to talk about. Uh, We don't need to touch too much on Chris Edmonds and Corey Bethley in the secondary. Those were two guys that we have already spent a lot of time with. Same with Nesta, Jade Silvera on the defensive line. Same with Xavier Valade. I think me and you both agreed that those were all pretty good transfers, especially we were very excited about Bethley and Valade. So overall thoughts with that, I'm pretty sure we both kind of agreed. One guy we haven't gotten to talk about is Cameron Johnson, and I'm not talking about the player for the Suns. I am talking about the wide receiver from Vanderbilt. Overall thoughts. Now, this was a guy, a little bit of background here, was a preseason SEC, all-SEC wide receiver, pick for uh, Vandy before Vandy does Vandy things and falls flat on their face, and he didn't have the best supporting cast around him. But he has proven to be kind of a reliable guy with good hands coming into a program that's lost a lot of wide receivers. What would you guess could be his impact this year? So first of all, they need a go-to guy, right? You and I talked about that all year long. It was Ricky Pearsall no longer with the teams over at Florida. They need somebody. So a guy who I want to say last time I looked, he's like six foot, uh, probably closer to 200 pounds. So a pretty solid build. Uh, I'm not sure what his speed is, but as long as he's got reliable hands, man, they're going to need something. So uh, if they can establish one wide receiver to play for this team, because after losing Bunkley Shelton and Pearsall, uh, you're losing Curtis Hodges at the tight end position. There's not a lot in the passing game that I think even a lot of fans are overly familiar with. Um, so anytime you, you say SEC, former SEC, my ears at least perk up a little bit. Right. I don't right. I don't even necessarily care where they were on the depth chart. When you talk about the what is truly the king of, of the NCAA, like it is the SEC. Uh, so getting a, a player of his caliber on this team, maybe it was a situation around him, kind of like you were alluding to before. Uh, but hopefully he can at least establish himself moving forward uh, with Emory Jones uh, as the potential go to guy. 100% agree with you there. Let's go ahead and talk about the transfers out of the program. We can go ahead and start Which with one? the wide receivers. Which one? Exactly. Exactly. Let's go ahead and start with the wide receivers as unfortunate of a conversation as that definitely is. But Arizona State, we'll talk about the big one. Ricky Pearsall is no longer with the program. What's the immediate impact there, Connor? As I was just saying, you lose your your go-to option. And while it kind of sounds silly to think of like Ricky Pearsall as the number one, like that's what he was in this offense. He really was like Jaden Daniels felt most comfortable throwing to him, even if he didn't present the most upside of some of the other wide receivers in the Pac-12. It just, he was familiar with, with uh, or essentially those were the two guys on the same page most of the time. So um, losing a guy like that for a passing game that didn't have uh, a ton of offensive spark to it, that really hurts. Uh, so moving on to uh, LV Bunkley Shelton as well, which he went to Oklahoma, correct? Correct, Yes. Uh, again, almost like a, the two, two, three option, depending on if you want to even talk about like Rashad white, obviously being more of a, um, uh, maybe even the two in the passing game. Um, this team can't afford to lose depth, right? When you're not even top heavy and you lose depth that, that hurts twice as much. So, but at the same time, what I will say is when you talk about chemistry, um, and familiarity, like, um, you have a, a new, uh, a new offensive coordinator, right? Your quarterback is gone. So the fact that it would be a new quarterback coming in, learning a new system, I don't think chemistry necessarily would do a ton for the program. So the fact they at least have new faces in, 
doesn't necessarily think the passing game is, is going to take a step back per se. It just, it looks bleak at the moment. And I feel like that's the perfect way to word it because when Pearsall was transferring, I can't remember who transferred first between him and Bunkley Shelton. I believe it was Pearsall, but there was hope that Bunkley Shelton was going to step into a much bigger role this year, regardless if, if he was the number one or number two receiver. So to lose both of them was brutal. And I mean, we also lost uh, Lanyata Alexander, who, you know, he didn't play a snap for Arizona State, but depth, you're losing depth. And then you lose Johnny Wilson, who, again, maybe not the biggest impact on the field, but that's seven foot four Johnny Wilson. Yeah, exactly. Something, something like that. I don't know. It was like Jeremy Lin out there. Not Jeremy Lin. Uh, who was the old Houston Rockets guy? He was an Asian. Oh my God. Um, Yao Ming. Dr. Yao Ming. Yes. He was like the Yao Ming for our wide receiving core. Uh, anyways, neither here nor there. We're not here to talk about basketball. We're here to talk about uh, the state of the Arizona state Sun Devils. Uh, Jordan Porter was another wide receiver. We lost. No. Uh, we we talked a bit about Tommy Hill previously. We've talked about Chip Trainum. We've talked about um, uh, um, what's his name, Jaden Daniels. We have not talked about Eric Gentry. Thoughts on Eric Gentry? There, there's two big names that we still need to talk about. Uh, yes. Gentry being one of them. Gentry leaving hurts, absolutely hurts because it looked like he was going to step up into a, a starting linebacker position. Now I know we had. Uh, Merlin Robertson coming back, right? Even though you lost, uh, gosh, I'm blanking on some of these linebacker names. Uh, Gary and Butler. Yep, you lost Butler. So Gentry looked like he was going to potentially be, I don't know about captain, maybe captain just because Robertson had so much experience and starting time on this defense, but was going to be an impact player nonetheless. Then he goes to SC. Dude, come on. You cannot blame Gentry for doing what he's doing. I, I guarantee you he got a sweet NIL deal. He's playing for what is likely to be the number one team in the Pac-12. Obviously, we had to talk about giving Lincoln Riley a, a, a chance to build a program. Like, it, if SC is number one and, and they win the Pac-12, it's not that surprising. Utah is great. Um, Oregon, obviously, is still great. Uh, but I would not be that surprised to see even in year one them, them make that sweep. So, uh, losing Gentry Hurts, uh, being a, a, a Pac-12 freshman All-American, right? Yeah. Um, and then obviously losing uh, Jermaine Lole going to Louisville. I will only say this once, at least in the podcast today, because the, the phrase gets so annoying. Jermaine Lole has got that dog in him, man. Like that was that was a great get for Louisville. And that one, Gentry and Lole were probably the two biggest um, shocking surprises of the offseason, just in the sense that, or, or maybe I should say it, that they hurt the most. Jaden Daniels leaving at the most important position in sports. Yeah, that hurts. But losing guys like Lole and Gentry, both on the defensive side of the ball in that front seven, that one hurts a lot. So what what sucks for Arizona State, and we'll talk about this a little bit later on in the podcast, but ASU can't compete for a number of reasons right now. So for all these kids leaving because it's what's best for them, I can't question their loyalty, right? They're doing what's best for them and potentially their future families. Good for them, man. It, it just sucks being a, a Sun Devil fan watching all of this talent, like legit talent, leave. Like, we're not talking so much about some of the wide receivers, like Pearsall, Muckley, Shelton are nice players. Losing Jermaine Lole and uh, uh, Eric Gentry, that stings. Those are both just, it feels like death blows to the team, especially when Lole disappeared. He was my number one player heading into the year. Gentry was my number two player heading into the year. I thought Gentry was in for a very unique role with the team. 
I thought that Gentry was a guy you could use like another very versatile player that the Pac-12 is familiar with and Anthony Barr. I'm not comparing the talent because Barr was a top 10 pick, but I do think that you could have gotten created with Gentry where you could have used him as an edge rusher and then also use him as an off-ball linebacker who's uh, good enough to drop into coverage and could have easily taken another step forward in that department as well as just being able to fly around to the football wherever he was because he is big and athletic. But unfortunately, that was not meant to be, and Arizona State is left dealing with those losses. Outside of that, I feel like that kind of rounds out the biggest transfers that the Sun Devils have had to deal with. So overall, Connor, we'll have another conversation here in just a moment about the potential impact that those guys might have to deal with. Let's go ahead and wrap up the first segment here. When we return, we're going to go ahead and discuss the impact that this could have for Herm Edwards. This is the Locked on Sun Devils podcast. Our partners at BetOnline continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports information. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information, from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn about the trends and action. Bet online where the game starts. And again, thank you guys so much for making the Locked On Sun Devils your first listen every day. For your next listen, check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast. The biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. Available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. Connor. We talked all sorts of transfer news. Let's go ahead and talk about the outlook here for Herm Edwards. Now, Edwards has had a very solid stint with Arizona State. He was able to rattle off an eight-win season this past year, despite the fact that, you know, everything pretty much fell apart for him at the end. He has not had a losing season for what it's worth. He's 25 and 18, but he is one and two in bowl games. And in 2020, they only managed a 2-2 two and two record in the four games. He's heading into a very pivotal year, even ignoring the NCAA stuff that's going on in regards to the program. This is going to be a big-time make-or-break season with the Sun Devils. I want your overall thoughts on this right now. Yeah, so Herm Edwards, in a vacuum, has been successful at ASU. Right. There's a lot of people who weren't overly thrilled with the hire just because he, he'd been in broadcasting and on TV for so long. And it's like he's he's coming out behind the desk to go to Arizona State. Right. Interesting. I, I, I was not a huge fan of the move when it happened. Um, having a team that wasn't his and, and still succeeding uh, for the first several years was definitely impressive. He gets that 2020 season where it kind of felt like um, just a, a bit of a mulligan uh, just because it was what it was like. But I remember when they got Jaden Daniels, regardless of what has happened in his career, Jaden Daniels at the time was a huge get. It was a yeah. huge get. Uh, depending on where you had looked, uh, he was the number one or two mobile quarterback in his class coming out of high school. Uh, five-star prospects. I mean, you, you couldn't help but be excited for what Herm Edwards has brought to this program. Obviously, now you include everything else with the NCAA violations, um, which he, he's the head of that snake. So it's not like he, he's totally like clean of, of anything there. Now people are not going to remember Herm Edwards for what he did early on in the season in terms of, of how he was able to coach. They're going to remember everything after. And what I mean by that more so is this last season and probably this upcoming season, which I think will be his last year. Short of 
short of, of going absolutely just balls to the wall, like going nuts and winning what 11 games, 10, 11 games, even after losing all of your talent, like unless the, this NCAA um, violation handed down to him just wasn't like some sort of death sentence. It's probably the only way he keeps his job, right? He comes back for another eight win season. First of all, I think that's super successful considering everything that's happened on this team. hundred percent agree. That'd be massive. If he right. was able when to pull off an eight win year. When they're probably closer to a five, six ish win team. Seven uh, in your on, case scenario. If you yeah. are both eligible at six and six, I, I feel, yeah, seven and six feels like the absolute best case scenario for the program. Yeah. And, and to be honest, after last year, a lot of people had talked about Herm Edwards being in a make or break season because we knew about the NCAA violations before even last season started. It's kind right. of like, well, okay, like he's involved. Like, what can they still do? fell flat on their face, right? They had some steam early on in the season for sure. And then just couldn't quite get it done. So um, Herm Edwards is absolutely in that make or break season at this point. But as you and I have alluded to months ago, right? And I'm sure as you've echoed on this podcast before, I, I think unfortunately Herm Edwards is going to be used as a scapegoat, right? All the coaches that they've brought on over the last season or two, they're about to clean house. They're about to clean house and nobody's job is safe and nor should it be. The only thing, and unfortunately, it's it's kind of sickening to say this just because almost no matter what the scandal is, right? Like there's been cheating scandals in uh, in sports before, but winning cures all. That is the only saving grace that they have. And unfortunately, like even as fans, fans will be able to overlook some of the things that teams have done, whether it was dirty or not, and can kind of forgive and move on. We just, we see it all the time, uh, changing sports up here a little bit. The Houston Astros and the Astros are not the only team to have been caught doing some of these things and people can kind of forgive and forget just because they win, they win games. So that's kind of Arizona State's best case scenario. It's just being able to win football games, which if you came to the podcast, you heard me say that and think, wow, that's some great analysis. I understand. Like that's, that's a very blanket statement. But as of right now, Herb Edwards, I unfortunately feel like, I don't even want to say blackballed is going to be the right word. It's just, I think his career in college football is just going to end on such a sour note. He's probably not going to be a head coach of a, of a, a really great football program ever again. He's already at the age where he could totally consider retirement, clearly. Right. Uh, so if anything, I, I think this last year is going to be his year. He's going to get fired. He either goes back behind the desk or he just retires in general. And he's going to kind of just disappear into the darkness from what could have been at ASU. Yeah, and I mean, you bring up a really good point with being able to retire. He's one of the oldest coaches in college football. I think a lot of people don't realize he is 68 years old. Like, yeah. this is this is a guy who's been, been around the sport for a long, long, long time. And he's going into his fifth year with Arizona State. So it's not like this was like a, like a short-term thing. Like, Arizona State kind of believed that he could turn the program around. And it, he didn't turn it around. He he kept them where they were at because yeah, Todd fair. Graham had them in that range. Although Todd Graham had back-to-back 10-win seasons. The best season that he's had is an 8-5 and five season and, you know, 1-2 and two in bowl games and not exactly meaningful bowl games. For what it's worth, he did win the Sun, the Sun Bowl one year. So got to remember that, you know. Gotta, you got to pay attention to those things. But... Obviously, neither here nor there. The biggest thing, though, is 
it just feels like with Herm Edwards, we've said this before, I got quoted by the Locked On Network for this, is with Herm, you are settling for mediocrity. And unfortunately, as you just said and alluded to, the perfect description of it is if the NCAA violations do come down heavily, he is exactly that. He is the scapegoat for your program. So right, wrong, or indifferent, that's pretty much the situation that Herm has got himself into. What, what does he have to do to keep his job in a, in a realistic sense? So 10-11 wins, like you said, obviously that's the best job security in the world, but Arizona State's not winning 10 to, 10 to 11 games. Give me, give me like the minimum he would have to do to retain his job. So to me, that's twofold. One is that unrealistic scenario of just winning a ton of football games, right? Probably not going to happen. The second scenario is if for some reason the, the NCAA does not deem what ASU did to be absolutely terrible, which it's taken a long time to for us to even get to where we're at now. And, and it sounds like a, a, essentially a resolution is expected over the summer um, from what I have understood, hopefully before next season starts. If it ultimately comes a, a slap on the wrist and it's like a, oh, okay, like that's that's not nearly as bad as what we thought. Maybe we lose out on um, like a bowl eligibility for one year. And, and especially if you look at the team that they have constructed now, if you lose out on bowl eligibility, oh no, like we don't have to go embarrass ourselves in a potential bowl game. Like that might not be the worst. Um, but because of how really the last couple seasons have gone, maybe them not playing up to especially now that it is Herm Edwards guys. He has his staff here. Right, he's got a lot of his players here, even though a lot of those players have now left. Um, in my opinion, like Ray Anderson has to look at what had happened as not being the majority of his fault, right? Uh, um, uh, it would have to be on Antonio Pierce, uh, who is now obviously I want to say he's with the Raiders, right? Isn't that correct? Correct. I think it's like yes. a linebackers coach, something like yes, that. Yes, that is correct. Um, they would have to just deem it as as being mostly on him, even though Herm Edwards is the head of the program. So, I. I feel like that is, is from a fan's perspective, if they kind of come out with that lingo and, and that logic in a, a press conference saying, hey, like we feel Herm Edwards kind of did everything he could and, and it wasn't totally on him, like everyone's at fault, but still feel like he could take this program places. I'm not sure that's going to sit very well with people either. So I, I think the best case scenario totally leans that unrealistic route of, of them having to make some serious noise, not just in the South, but in the Pac-12 in its totality. So um, we'll, we'll kind of see how that goes. I, If I'm a betting man, I think he gets fired before the season even ends. So we'll see how, we'll kind of see how that, that comes to fruition. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. Give me a best case scenario for a win-loss total and a worst case scenario for a win-loss total. What do we play? 12 games, 13 games? Does that include you the whole will game? Play, you will play 12 games. You will play 13 if you get to the championship game. And you will play another four or not another 14. You'll play 14 games if you make it to the championship game and a bowl game. So as of right now, let's start with 12 games. So 12 games, I, I don't think there's a, a snowball chance in hell of, of getting to 13 games. Um, I don't think that's glass half full. I just think I'm a human being with a brain. But I, I think the best case scenario would be like a seven and five. Right. For some reason, they really take advantage of the players or the teams that they're supposed to be. And they have an upset win or two in there. 
not saying it's going to be Oklahoma State, but they have an upset win or or two somewhere. Um, I, I think the worst case scenario is probably four wins, right? So what's that? Wait, did I say so that's five and seven? So we're talking about four and eight. Um, I think it's probably the worst case scenario, and, and those wins would include like NAU, right? Who I think they get week one. Your cupcake um, games, right? Um, maybe a U of A. Now I, I understand U of A has been terrible over the last couple of seasons, but it, it sounds like they've retooled a decent amount. That if this were the year U of A were to win, it doesn't seem like it would be that shocking because of everyone ASU has lost and the fact that U of A has got a new quarterback. I have no idea what else they've really done this offseason, so might not be a ton, but they should be able to win about four games. I would say as a worst case scenario. There you go. Let's go ahead and hop into our last break, and we're going to have a more in depth conversation about the potential season that the Sun Devils are looking at right now on a special Saturday edition of the Locked on Sun Devils podcast. And one more time, thank you so much for making the Locked on Sun Devils your first listen every day. Go ahead, make one of your next listens the Locked on NBA Big Board podcast with Rafael Barlow, Richard Stamen, Sam Ferris, and Leif Thulin giving fans an in-depth look into the biggest prospects, latest player rankings, and of course, big boards. Follow the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast every day on the Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Connor, we've talked all sorts of stuff now. We've talked to transfers. We've talked Herm Edwards. But the biggest thing here, this is 100% an extremely important season for Arizona State. One of the most important seasons that we've seen in the last 10 years. But you even had made a comment off mic before we got started. This could be one of the most important seasons that the Sun Devils might have ever faced. And I'm going to start it right there. Just give me your like initial thought process behind that. First of all, I'll call out. I hate the one like the new season's rolling up and everyone's like, this is the most pivotal season that they've ever faced. No, it's not like it's just it's the it's the it's what's happening now. Like the history, you can't change. Like this is something where they they there's hope in the air. Right. Like you don't know what's going to happen. So I'll be the first to say that. Now, going into my thought process here, no, it's not a, a, a one of the most important seasons the Sun Devils football team has faced from a standpoint of they could go on to win the Pac-12, maybe make some noise, go be top four in the nation, maybe make the playoffs. It's not that at all. My, my issue is how far can ASU fall from where they've been over the last two seasons, right? Like they've, they've been competitive. It's not, it's not being a homer to say this team has been competitive. They've won some games, lost some games that probably shouldn't have. Uh, but regardless, ASU football has not been, especially when you look at the, the Pac-12. Pac-12 is not going to ton of respect outside of a couple teams, and nor should it. But ASU has been a solid football team. Now, over the last couple seasons, we've had the NCAA sanction violations. We've had the NIL rules kind of change the game in terms of how they can recruit inside of college football. Ray Anderson has already come out and said that they don't feel like they can recruit specifically leading towards NIL. So their path to recruiting has to be through coaching and the promise of, of developing young players, winning football games, potentially getting to the NFL. It's not that Arizona state can't do that because they've had a, their fair share of prospects go into a, the NFL draft over the last couple of years and, and at least have a shot at the NFL. So it's not like that's unrealistic, but everything they're faced with right now, what they're staring in the face is let's say that the NCAA hands down an absolute death penalty because, to my knowledge, they're the first team kind of during that that COVID transition that really violated any rules. There might have been another school that I'm not familiar with, uh, but ASU really seems to be the first and or the biggest um, 
so you you would think that they might like hand out some sort of terrible penalty so it eludes people from ever doing something like that again which it won't um but now going down that nil route you already are telling us you can't compete right and look at everybody they've lost this offseason all the talent that they've lost whether it was players going to the draft it was uh really good players like gentry or lole um, even Jane Daniels at the most important position on the team going elsewhere in college football. I'm concerned that if this this season does not go well, and what I define as well as maybe closer to like six wins and not a terrible penalty from the NCAA, if it gets worse than that, you might be setting your football program back five years, a decade. Because if you can't recruit good players with NIL money and your program's in such disarray because the, the head coach is going to be gone, Right. You may not be able to get a good head coach in there to replace him. What are you promising students? What are you promising student athletes? How can you go sit down in someone's living room and say, here's what we can do for you and your family? Like that's a that's a two like PowerPoint slide presentation. They go, that's it. What else? What else you got? Like, seriously, I, I could go and Mill Avenue <laughs> and the fact that, hey, you could go to the most innovative school in the nation number one in innovation for like 2900 years baby they might be uncontested in that but guess what you're gonna have to be innovative in how you can get kids to come to your program now if they're really the number one school in innovation i really hope to god that transfers to ray anderson and his skill set and how he can potentially hire the next head coach for this team and how they can get people to come play for this program because if i'm a student right now asu is about the last place i want to go richie you had mentioned like mill avenue that's great. Like seriously, like, from a from a uh, outside perspective, if my if my thought process is not being a first round pick or or truly getting to the NFL, Arizona, you get to play uh, you get to play in some nice weather. Obviously, a little hot at times here, uh, but it's always sunny. You get Tempe, which is a great college city. Like that is your promise. That is your promise because you've had kids leave for NIL stuff right now, right? Like there's so many things that could set this program back. And I'm not talking just a couple of years. Like when you get a new head coach like Herm Edwards in the building, you got to give him some time because you had uh, um, uh, Todd. Uh, why am I blanking on the last head coach's name? Graham. Todd Graham. You, you had to give him time. So you, Todd Graham's guys get out of the building and you get Herm Edwards guys in there. Well, now the next head coach is going to have to get his own guys in there. But if he can't get talent in here, they haven't had a great recruiting class when it feels like a while. There's so many avenues in which they now could potentially pull from to get talent. And it doesn't feel like any of them are viable. Seriously, you could be the bottom dwellers of the Pac-12, which is the least successful Power 5 program to this day. And if you're at the bottom of that, I mean, what does that say about your school? That is a hole that can be dug out of. It's just going to take a long time to get there. And I'm very concerned that's a very realistic possibility for this program. And that's... I, th I think that's the scariest factor here and potentially a reality for Arizona state as unfortunate as it could be is if you have a bad season and if Herm Edwards gets fired and if you get those NCAA uh, sanctions that come down on you and potentially what that could be, you could lose bowl game eligibility. You could lose scholarships, scholarships. you could get yep. fines. Like there's all sorts of stuff that the NCAA could just, rattle on top of you you would have a new head coach coming in and who knows like you might not be able for sure you would not be able to get a top tier guy you're not getting the nope. next alabama offensive coordinator whoever that is i don't know if it's still bill o'brien or if he's gone it's still bill o'brien to my to it my is? 
you will so. throw some throw some money at him because that's a good college coach. That is a great college coach. He helped turn Penn State around. Neither here nor there. Uh, my my dream is Matt Rule, but you know, first he's got to leave the NFL. Again, neither here nor there. Point is, if you uh, like for sure have to stare down the barrel of looking at a new head coach and NCAA violations and the loss of scholarships and more, yeah, you're going to drop to the bottom of the Pac-12 quickly. And like you said, the Pac-12 very, very rapidly became the worst conference in the Power Five. Because remember, 10 years ago, we were right after the SEC. This was Stanford's prime with David Shaw. This was the Chip Kelly... Uh, Ducks. Utah was still really, really good. Arizona State, like we mentioned, had back-to-back 10-win seasons. U of A won the Pac-12 South one year. USC was middle of the pack. UCLA was solid. Uh, This this was the Josh Rosen and the Brent Hundley eras of that program. Um, uh, Washington had made the playoff one year. Wazoo was starting to come around. Colorado, I'm pretty... I'm pretty positive they won the Pac-12 South one year. And if not, they were like an eight or nine win team one of those years. Like the the Pac-12 at one point was dominant. It was easily the second best division in college football. And they have taken a tumble. So like you mentioned, if you drop to the seller of the Pac-12 right now, because in a best case scenario, you are the fifth or the sixth best team. You drop to 10, 11, 12, God forbid it is going to be very hard to turn that program around. It's going to be very hard to get someone in there to be the head coach, like a, like a top tier guy. You're going to have to settle for hopefully taking somebody from the, from the division three level or, or the uh, like the, Oh my gosh, not the power five, the other conferences, like the WAC and the Mac, uh, the AC, the AAC, uh, all, all those different different schools, you would have to hope and pray that you could pull someone from there to help turn your program around. But like you, like you just illustrated very, very clearly, this has a lot of future implications for Arizona State, whether we want to admit it or not. Is this the most important season? You know, who who knows? In 50 years Over 100 now, years. Right. Of, of history, at least. Like, there's been a ton of important seasons. But in the present, yeah, this is massive for the future of the program not not yeah. so much for that their potential postseason applications or bowl game a- uh, aspirations right uh i think i said applications yikes um but regardless like we're, we're talking like not just the end of the season we're talking years from now and how you can set yourself up for success or total failure yeah and i think you painted the picture perfectly so obviously we're not going to know until we get there we we get to december and we're a six and six team or we're a seven and five team or an eight and four team, or we're a four and eight team or three and nine team. It feels Heck, like you could even be fifth. You could even be fifth. <laughs> you could be, you could be second. You could be third. Heck you could be fourth. Oh man. I, I love anchor man, but you know, that's uh, yeah, exactly. You started, you started it by making fun of no way home. So I'm going to end it with making fun of Talladega nights. This is a very important season for Arizona State. Perhaps not the most pivotal ever, but this is a a like like a franchise defining season coming up 
at least in the last 10 years that we've seen. Agreed. Any closing thoughts? Hey, sunshine and rainbows. Hopefully tomorrow's a new day. Oh, another player transferred. Awesome. Yeah, oh, I, I, I will. Great, great idea. <laughs> Everyone get the heck out of here. <laughs> I will. Even though I'm a half glass full kind of guy, I will never dismiss the opportunity because you truly don't know what's going to happen. You right. do not know. Do I think that ASU has a, a very high ceiling this year? No, I do not. But I'll tell you right now, like every year in every single sport, there are teams that just defy expectations. Is that going to happen to ASU? We do not know. We're going to have to stay tuned to find out. Tune in to the next episode of Dragon Ball Z. But until next time, thank you guys so much for making the Locked on Sun Devils your first listen every day. Remember, we're free and available on all platforms, including YouTube, if you want to check us out in a visual platform. But wherever you get your podcast, make sure you turn on notifications and hit the follow or subscribe button so you never miss a podcast as we talk Arizona State Sun Devils football, basketball, and a little bit of everything in between. Make sure if you're on the Bird app, give me a follow at RichieBrads36. Follow the podcast as well at LO underscore Sun Devils. And follow my good buddy Connor at Siege Rios because we're tweeting at each other all the time. All sorts of fun stuff. But until next time. You keep it locked right here on Locked on Sun Devils.